I see what I say. The Green Notebook, carried by military leaders around the world. Within those pages are sweat, tears, triumphs, and the hard-won lessons of life. Lessons worth sharing. Each week, the team dives into the notebooks of military leaders, business professionals, authors, athletes and coaches, and entertainers to share lessons and help you lead with the best version of yourself. Hey, it's Joe here, and every morning before I crack open a book or sit down to do some writing, the first thing I do is brew an amazing cup of Alpha Coffee. They make premium 100% Arabica coffee, and Alpha has some of my favorite blends. They have Dawn Patrol, which is a nice medium light breakfast blend. I also enjoy Charlie Don't Surf, which is a medium Kona blend. And I even get to take Alpha Coffee to work with me because they also make K-Cups. Not only do they have great coffee... They're a great veteran-owned business who has shipped over 20,000 bags of coffee to deploy troops. They also offer a 10% discount to members of the military and first responders. And Alpha Coffee has been an awesome company to partner with at From the Green Notebook. So taste the Alpha difference and purchase their coffee today at www.alpha.coffee or via Amazon Prime. Welcome to another episode of From the Green Notebook. I'm your host, Joe Byerly. And this week, we're diving into the green notebook of Matt Paxton. Matt is one of the top cleaning and decluttering experts in the country. He was featured on several seasons of the A&E show Hoarders and now hosts the Emmy-nominated Legacy List with Matt Paxton. Because we move a lot in the military, I thought he'd be a great person to talk about figuring out what to keep and what to get rid of when we move. In this episode, we talk about Matt's latest book, Keep the Memories, Lose the Stuff, Declutter, Downsize, and Move Forward with Your Life. And before we even get into the book, we spend a great deal of time talking about how Matt almost completely blew up his life before finding his calling, which was helping others. I think you're going to learn a lot from this episode and be entertained at the same time. So please welcome to the show, Matt Paxton. Thanks for having me. Hey, Matt, I'm, I'm looking forward to this interview. Um, I just finished your book, Keep the Memories, Lose the Stuff. Uh, I just came out. And uh, I'm, I'm really interested, if, if you would share with our listeners, before we get into how to lose this stuff, like how did you get into this line of work? Okay, the business of stuff, right? Well, you fail at everything else. That's the joke, right? I mean, most people that, are, that know me, they know me from the TV show Hoarders. I am the guy that yells at everybody on Hoarders. And I did that for 13 years. Well, I've been on TV for 15 years, but I've been doing, I did Hoarders for 13 years. But I cleaned houses just on the side for five years before that. I mean, I'm pretty open about my past. I was an economist for the Federal Reserve, thought I wanted to work for the government, found out about an hour into my first day I did not want to work for the government. And my mom, I was 23 years old, my mom made me stay till six months. So kept my, you know, kept my promise to my mom, quit my job at six months and moved to Las Vegas to become an economist for Caesars Palace Casinos. 23-year-old kid living in a casino, having a blast. Sounds like a perfect recipe for... For, uh... for disaster, man. Yeah, I got, <laughs> I got addicted to everything you can get addicted to. And they moved me to Lake Tahoe thinking that like that would sober me up. Right? And I always joke that like that's the wrong... You know, it's like going to Chicago to lose weight, right? It's the wrong city for the goal. And I got you know addicted to gambling, drugs, alcohol, everything. I had a blast. But I lost everything to a point where I owed a bookie $40,000. And I'm skipping over six wow. crazy months right there. I mean, like the dude was like, hey, man, like you got to pay me today. I don't have it. He goes, well, what do you have? I got $1,000. He goes, great. Come on down to the casino and we'll work it out. And so I, like an idiot, drove down to the casino like, oh, this is we're going to work out a payment plan. This is going to be amazing. And like this isn't like the movies at all. And the guy beats crap out of me, breaks my nose, so takes it's just like the movies. It's just like the movies. Exactly. <laughs> he beats me up, takes my money, and he's like, You got two days. You still owe me forty grand. So like basically the thousand dollars, the last thousand dollars I had, it basically just bought me two more days. And 
it was a pretty low point, obviously. The low point is the things, the options you put on the table next, right? Like, what can I do in two days to make 40 grand? None of them are good. But at the end of the day, I begged everybody I knew. And like the last guy said, okay, it was an old boss and he gave me money and I got home and I was at like my low point. And I got back to Virginia, like ran out of money driving home, like back, this back in the nineties. So you had to like, or this was, yeah, this was 99. So you had to like pay your credit card with a check and then you'd wait for the check to like clear. And then your credit card would work again. My check hadn't cleared. So I got stuck in Nebraska with no cash and a credit card that was maxed. And so I had to sit at, I mean, it was like a sporting goods store, you know, and I basically sat there for two days and like tried everything. And <laughs> told the guys what had happened. I was like, I got no money and wait for my car. And they're like, yeah, just have fun. So like, we was, I mean, I was basically like trying all the equipment out, just wait for my credit card to clear. I get home and move in with my dad. My dad immediately gets sick and they tell me he's got, he's got cancer. He's got like three weeks to live. So thank God I was home for like, through months with my dad and like, and thank God I was kind of a loser with no job because I got to like hang out with my dad and then he died and I had to clean his house. And so though my first gig was like cleaning my dad's house. And I talked about that in the book. I mean, but my, it was really sad, but like my dad was not the kind of guy that was going to like fight for three or four years. Like he basically, they're like, you got three weeks, man. He threw a party. He said goodbye to everybody. And then he died. And that was it. He basically threw his own funeral. It was pretty cool, to be honest. And uh, it's a good way to go. But like, I started cleaning the house. And then that year, three more people died. So in that year, my dad, my stepdad, both my grandfathers died. And so I went from being the baby boy in the house to the only man in the family. And I had to clean everything out. And I didn't know what to do. Like, I had no idea what to do. And I remember it sucked really bad. Like, I was miserable. And my grandfather always said to me, if something sucks, do it as a job. Because people pay to do it they don't want to do it. That's amazing advice. <laughs> it's pretty good advice, right? Like, yeah, yeah. He goes, if it really sucks, people will pay you more to do it than them. And I was like, okay, well, this sucks. So I better do this. And so I just started cleaning out people's houses. And it was like a side hustle before there were side hustles, you know, like I was just waiting for the next idea. And I was just doing this on the side. I didn't actually act like I was going to do it. Now here we are 21 years later, I'm still doing it. Right. But it was awesome. And I loved it. And I loved the stories. And so I just kind of like, when I finally embraced it, it was like, oh, all right, well, I got to, this is like my job. I had to get employees and I had to get a truck. And like, basically like all the old ladies at church felt bad for me and like started giving me work. I clean out their attics. And before I knew it, I had a crew. And then like, it took me what I did it. I mean, I, I realized the hoarded homes, nobody would touch. And so I was like, well, I'll do those. And in fact, one lady was like, do you, one moving expert in our town, she was like, do you do hoarding? And I was like, yes, definitely. And I had to go to the library and check out a book on hoarding that weekend because wow. <laughs> I didn't even know what it was. Like, in fact, I spelt it wrong on my first uh, ad. I spelt it H-O-R-D-I-N-G because I didn't even know what hoarding was. <laughs> and I learned, I checked this, I checked out this guy's book. And now this guy now, Dr. Michael Thompson is like one of the top therapists in the country for hoarding. And I got into clean houses with them on hoarders. But like That's I read awesome. it's like playing basketball with Michael Jordan. You know, like this guy was my hero. <laughs> and now I get to like stand next to him and clean his houses. So, I mean, I really didn't know what I was doing. And then once I started doing it, it was like, oh, I've been doing this my whole life. Like this is my grandma. This is my mom. And then same time I've been volunteering at a grief camp for kids. And so I was like hanging out with kids that have lost their parents just like I had as a volunteer. And so I learned that part of it. So basically I was like doing grief camp for kids that lost their parents and then cleaning up houses. And so once those two melded together, it was like, Oh, this is grief cleaning. I get it. And then that's, I kind of was off to the races at that point. Well, before, you know, like I, I really want to talk with you about the psychology behind stuff, but before I do that, I'm just curious, like, I'll be honest with you, Matt, like out of all the guests that have been on the show, you're the first one yeah. who's been beat up by a bookie in Vegas. <laughs> And like, like, I'm just curious, like, how did you, you know, how did you turn that around, man? Like, oh, it was a pretty simple answer. When you're at rock bottom, there's nowhere else to go, man. Like, there's no one down there. You're by yourself at rock bottom. And if you're not religious, you're really by yourself, you know, like, and if you're religious, at least you got God, but it's a very lonely place. And like, I remember, I mean, I drank too much for a while and it was like, I remember like one time I was like, ah, you know, should I kill myself? And I wasn't serious about it. I was just like, what are you doing, dude? Like, this is ridiculous. And then I just finally kind of, my work ethic kind of just 
outbeat my my sadness. And I'm lucky, like a lot of people can't get out of that depression and sad. I just some reason I could. And like I just started hustling. And then I think I, I mean I ran track in high school. I'm not a I'm not an athletic person, but I was competitive because of track. And so like at some point I was just like, man, well, screw this, dude. I'm gonna I'm gonna fix this. And like when I started making money cleaning and I started helping people, like those are two separate things that get you excited. But like the hoarding is what saved me. This is going to sound crazy. If I had just cleaned really fancy people's houses, I would have quit because I can't stand like super rich people. Like it doesn't work for me, but like the hoarding people were just as down and out as I was. And so all of a sudden I wasn't alone in rock bottom. Like I was with my people and we were just helping each other. It wasn't like there was nobody judging me. I mean, a couple times the hoarders would be like, Matt, you got to get your shit together, man. Like, your life's a mess. You know, and like when a hoarder that's going to lose their house is telling you like, dude, you got to, <laughs> you got to stop, man. <laughs> like that's yeah. kind of loud. Right. Like, and so like, luckily I always say like the hoard saved me because it let me be with other people that were having a hard time. So we were just together and we just got, you know, basically it was like, okay, well let's hold hands and get out, man. And so like, we just all worked hard. And I did that man for like five years straight, like not on TV, just like working, just trying to eat. It reminds yeah. me of uh, one of our previous guests, Stephen Pressfield, yeah. who's like my favorite author. He wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance. Yeah. Of, oh, wow. Yeah. 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 He yeah. was one of the first first guys I ever read when I came in the army. And so like doing an, a podcast with him. But yeah. Steve literally like blew up his life in his 20s. He becomes like a migrant worker. Didn't have his first book published till he was like 50 something. But it was all of a sudden he realized that his destiny was like to be a writer and to like tap into that creative spirit and share it with people. And he's like, once I realized that I started getting my act together and started just hustling. And again, it yes. was like 20 yes, years yes, yes. before. Yeah. yeah. So that's, it's a similar yeah, story. So I'll tell you, yeah, I, God, that's great. Like I remember thinking like, dude, like after my fourth relative died and I, I was like, come on God, like what is, you know, it got so ridiculous. You're like, okay, this has got to mean something. And I remember my friends were always getting married and they were all like going off. And I, I couldn't go to any of my buddies' weddings because I couldn't afford the bachelor party. I could either afford the wedding or the bachelor party. And at 25, I'm going to the bachelor party, right? And so I didn't have money to go to the wedding. And I remember just thinking like, I missed so many of my friends' weddings. And it was just like, all right, well, this is so ridiculous. I'm so broke. And this story is so ridiculous. I was like, I got to be meant for bigger things or this doesn't make sense. And I was like, and I don't believe anything doesn't make sense. Like, I believe everything's related somewhere. It just may not be tomorrow. You know, and I remember saying like, all right, well, everyone's past me right now, but someday I'm going to catch up and I'm going to blow them away. And in fact, a buddy of mine the other day, one of my best friends from growing up, he goes, dude, you used to tell us that you would pass us in our 50s. And he's like, I think you're going to lap us in your 50s. You know, and these were guys that like made fun of me. I mean, my best friends that just felt bad for me because I could not get it together. But yeah, like you got, I think... I think that's what your twenties are for. Like, I mean, I thank God I had no kids and I had no wife. I had no, no one else I could pull down with me, you know? And yeah, I, but I had to, I had a belief early on. I was like, I remember someone said something and they were like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm a rock star. He says, nobody knows it yet. You know, someday they will. And I'm still hoping they realize that someday, you know, but like I've taken that mentality of like, yes, I will make a difference. Now what's happened with maturity is at first you want to be rich. And anyone that chases wealth realizes that's empty. Like there's nothing there. And so you're not chasing money now. So what are you chasing? Then you're chasing girls or guys, whatever you're into, but you're chasing, you know, the physical side of that. And then that turns out to be empty after a while. And it's like, okay. So for me, it bottomed out at, okay, I got to help people. Like I tried to get rich so many times. I'm skimming over 20 years, like you're saying about the author. But like after about 10 years, I realized like, okay, if I just focus on helping people, like that's it pure, like dumb it down. I'm going to help people period and stop trying to get rich. Like being rich ruined me, honestly. Like every time I tried to get rich, I had to like give up on my, my ethics and morals went down on the other side, you know, it's seesaw. And every time I tried to get wealthy, it failed. And so I was like, all right, I get it world. I'm just going to go help people. And when I did that, shit blew up in a really good way. I love that, man. And like, you know, you're talking about your twenties, like even in my twenties and thirties, as I look back, you know, at a point, I'm like, I want to, you know, get the next rank. I want to get the next rank. I want to get the next rank. 
But then at some point, I'm like, you know what? Like, I just want to help people lead and not yeah. make the same mistakes I did. Yes. And as soon as I started focusing on that, like, then life just out. got, yeah, yeah, it just got better. And it so, just gets better. Yeah. And I, <laughs> and now I'm doing this podcast and going over the yeah. philosophical life journey of Matt Paxton. And didn't I mean, look, people are always like, what? And you ask me the question, I'm like, how in the world did you end up in your position? And it's like, I mean, I, my poor mother. Like my mom and my grandma, all these women prayed for me. They still pray for me. Like my mom still wants me to get a real job. She doesn't view this as like a real job, you know? And I'm like, mom, like, I'm okay. Like I'm helping people. Like, I got, I, I mean, I got seven kids, man. I'm, I'm raising a family of nine. Like we're good, mom. Like everything's all right. And she just, she gets nervous, but I'm like, cause she still remembers that 22 year old kid that couldn't afford dinner, you know? And uh, I mean, I remember at 30, I wanted to run a marathon. I remember that I was like, I ran track in my teens in college and then I got fat in my 20s because I was drinking too much. And then at 30, I was like, I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to get back in shape. And I did not have enough money to buy a pair of running shoes at 30. Wow. And I called off a wedding because I was like, if I can't even buy a pair of running shoes, I got no business getting married to this person. You know, as so I called off a wedding and begged my mom for a pair of running shoes. And that's what I got for Christmas that year. And I was 30. And, you know, I didn't have $100 to my name. And there's still days where I don't, right? I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know, there's days yeah. that things change. But like, I remember like thinking, dude, this has got to be, I got to be bigger than this or this is pathetic. And so I think that's what willed me out of like, not just plummeting out of nowhere. Because I was just like, I'm not going to be pathetic. Like I got to, I got to get it. And so it was a mindset, I think. It was a choice. Yeah. So like one of the things that you've done is you've helped people part with their stuff. And so that's really like, you know, kind of the crux of the book and, and what I want to talk about today, which is like, why are we so like Gollum-esque with our stuff? You know, precious. Like, yes. Precious. Yeah, My son's why? reading Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I think it's all related, right? I mean, I needed stuff when I was younger because I didn't have anything else. I mean, when you don't have things that are valuable, like truly like kids and relationships, you know, I mean, I, I got a buddy that just bought a ridiculous car, right? He just got divorced, bought a ridiculous car and is dating a 20 something year old girl. All right, we're almost 50. And it's like, come on, dude. Like, what are you trying to fill here? Like, how bad is your life, right? And so I use that example, like, on hoarders, people would buy stuff to make them happy. They were so sad, they would buy the stuff. They think the stuff makes them happy. Turns out, stuff actually makes us more sad. And then the money, you know, you talked about my my TED Talk that you watched from a couple years ago. Like, it's that cycle of, you know, like, you, you feel bad, you're not there for your kids, so you work really hard to buy them stuff. You buy them stuff, and then you're not there because you're working really hard, so you have to buy them more stuff. And it becomes this crazy, vicious cycle, and it's it's kind of empty. Like, it doesn't really pay off. The stuff side of it doesn't. But I think, you know, with hoarders, they're trying to fill that hole. They're sad, and they're up, and they've lost everything, and so they try to fill it. They try to make themselves happy with stuff. Some of us do it with exercise. Some of us do it with faith. Some of us do it with jobs. Like, you could, you know, some do with stuff, alcohol, drugs, whatever. For a lot of us, it's stuff. Now, I'm going extreme because my experience is extreme, right? Like, I mean, I've cleaned thousands of the worst times in the country. So I will, I can tell you a million times where stuff has ruined people's lives. And you could tell me where I'm sure there's guys that blow their lives up in the military, you know, like just trying to get that next rank, you know, that like they're just trying and trying. And so like everything else falls to the side. Same thing. I mean, I've got friends that definitely do that in business, that definitely do that with, I mean, extra, I got a buddy that's like this ridiculous triathlete. But the rest of his life is falling apart because he's put all of his eggs in that one basket. So I think all of it's just, a, you know, that hunch for more, that chase for more. And when you when you find out it's not there, it gets really sad. So as you start to like think through this and you're like, OK, like you start looking around, and you're like, man, I have a lot of a lot of stuff. Like, like what's the first step to actually okay. doing something about it? So I've been around the world twice now, you know, personally, I say not not physically, but like. It turns out I was really happy when I was gambling because I was a minimalist because I was broke, right? Not by choice. I didn't choose to have nothing. I actually had nothing. But I, I think I was my happiest. Like I only had a backpack. Everything I owned was in my backpack because if I had to get out of town, I wanted to be able to get out of town quickly. And if you have stuff, it holds you back. And so like I actually think that's where I, I, love, I, mean, I love that that's your like, yeah, like if you've got to go, you go now. <laughs> you go now. You don't think twice. You get out of town. And so that was my 20s. Well, now, late 40s with kids, I don't want a lot of stuff because it weighs us down as a family, right? We can't, not that we're trying to move. We just can't do anything. If we're spending all of our time cleaning and organizing, we're not actually living our life. 
I think the hardest part is getting started, man, like totally getting started. So you actually have to know where you're going. So my step one is like actually know what your finish line is. And that sounds crazy. But like so many people say, I'm overwhelmed by my stuff. What am I doing? Right. And, and you're in a career where you like with everything you do in leadership, like goals are the first step for everything. But like a lot of people don't live their life that way. They just get right into the action and they take action before they plan what their goals are. So for me, it's finish line. And, and in my industry, like, I mean, again, I'm moving people. Most of it is seniors downsizing, right? Most of the time I'm helping like your parents and your grandparents, like that's who my clients are. So I'm listening for your viewers. It's more of a leadership, you know, viewership, but like my business is helping people let go of their stuff after 50 years. And that sounds like not that hard, but it is because these people, the stuff's related to their loved ones, to their husbands that have passed away or their kids that have passed away or their success in life, or, you know, they're the last kids of the depression. Like, you know, I mean, I was talking to a lady the other day. She's telling me about her the day her husband gets home from World War II. You know, and like, I mean, I had a lady just the other day. I was, this family bought a school as a house. It's a show just aired, actually. They bought an elementary school and they turned it into a house. And this old lady, 90-some-year-old lady comes by. She goes, oh, I went here in 42. I go, you went to school here in 1942? She goes, yeah. And then World War II started and I couldn't come back. And I'm like... Man, there's still people alive that did, yeah. you know, like that's crazy when you think about it, right? But anyway, all these people help. I just have to get them started. I have to know where they're going. And so the, the point we're talking about the business is they got to know like what their plan is. And so for us, it's usually downsizing, which means they're either going to clean up the house so they can live there, right? Like they've actually got to like either move downstairs or they got an age in place or they're going to move to an adult child's home or they're going to move like to another state to be closer to kids, like whatever they want. They've got to be clear on their finish line. And then I want to know the why, all right? The why is what I think is the most important part here. Like I compare this to weight loss all the time. I've lost 20, about 20 pounds in the last uh, 10 weeks. And it happened. I've been trying for 10 years to lose weight, never did. And my 12-year-old son came up to me and said, Dad, so are you going to die the same age as your dad? I go, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you know, your dad was 52. He goes, Dad, you're almost 47. He goes, that's five years. I'll be in high school if, if you die at the same age. He goes, are you, are you going to die then? I go, well, no, buddy, of course not. He goes, well, why do you eat all that food that's bad for you then? Wow. <laughs> yeah, 12-year-old. I mean, he puts me right in the corner. Yeah. And so he goes, Dad, I want you to be I – I need your help. When I'm a dad, I'm going to need your help because I don't know how to do it. This is a 12-year-old boy. I go, buddy, do you think about this? He goes, yeah, I think about it all the time, Dad. I don't want you to die. And so there's my why. I want to be a grandpa. So I put grandpa like straight up. I write it down, man. And I put it on the wall and I'm telling you the reason I'm saying this. And that's a, that's a much more extreme situation, but it just happened. It was very real for me. It hit me really hard, but that's my why. And so I say for the downsides and whatever your, whatever your goal is, you got to have a why so you can come back because otherwise you're going to quit, right? Cleaning up and weight loss are probably the two easiest things to quit on in the world because most people don't have a hoarded house, right? Most people just have a regular house. And I can shut the garage door. I only park in one of those two garage doors anyway, right? You keep the other one closed. That's where you hide all your stuff. Well, you can, you can close the other door and walk away. You can shut the cabinets and walk away. It's very easy. But with decluttering, you basically the probably five of my tips are just to get you to not quit. Basically, you just got to keep going. Because I mean, for me, like my whole life was just don't quit. You ain't got to win. I just don't. I just, just as long as I don't quit, I'm going to win at the end because everybody else is going to quit eventually. Right. So all I got to do is get just not quit at the beginning. They're going to wear down. And at 60, I will I will lap everybody. I'm OK with like I'm starting to see that coming. Right. Like so for me, it's the don't quit. And so a lot of my tips are based on just stop. Like, don't allow yourself to quit. And so that's why you got to be really clear on where you're going and, and the why. And I think that why is more important than anything. Uh, and then start slow is number two. Like start slow, like really slow. Like most people try to clean their house out in a weekend. And you've been in a house for 10 years, right? I mean, do you all still get benefits when people pack up the house for you when you go to base or no? When you go to a new location? Yeah, yeah. We can still have like movers, movers come in yeah. and they come in, they pack everything up and then they just, they move. But that being said, like for me personally, like I'm six, seven months out from, from an upcoming move you know, more than likely I'm downsizing and, uh, you know, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Like, okay, like where do I start? Well, I get so many guys like you that at the end of their career, right. They retire and I'm like, well, I'm unpacking their house. I'm like, where are these boxes from? Oh, like four tours ago. <laughs> like I never unpacked it. The stuff went from, 
you know, went from California to Germany, back to Texas, you know, then to New York, you know, like it, it, this stuff just would go all. And I, we, we used to work on a Norfolk. So we'd get a lot of the Navy guys at the end of the career at the beach. And they would just have boxes from all over the world. They're like, I haven't looked at that stuff in 20 years. I don't know what it is. Hey folks, it's Joe here, and I would like to thank our newest sponsor, my alma mater, the University of North Georgia, located in Dahlonega, Georgia, home of the Mountain Phaser Ranger School. If you are looking for an education, this is a place to go. They are a top-rated senior military college offering over 70 degrees, including critical languages, international affairs, strategic studies, and an award-winning cyber defense program. Their Corps of Cadets is an Army-only program with 24-7 leader development. They have consistently been ranked as our nation's number one Army ROTC program among senior military colleges, and this is the institution that I credit with preparing me to be an Army officer. So, if you want to learn more, go to their website at www.go.ung.edu forward slash Army One and learn more about the University of North Georgia, the Military College of Georgia. Now, back to the episode. That's a great point, Matt. Yeah. Like, you know, I've been on several deployments. You know, I brought stuff yeah. back from the deployments. You know, we've been to different places and we, you know, we picked up stuff along the way. Like, how do you determine? Because like in my mind, at first thing, like, ah, oh, this is all important. You talk about it in the book, but like, yeah. like, what should we do to kind of help narrow it down for us? All right, so I try to pick five items, believe it or not. Five items, the whole house. And the, the history on this was, I used to have a thing called a fire list, right? I'd go to order and I'd say, okay, man, your house is going to catch on fire. What do we need to take before the house burns down? And they'd be like, oh, I don't know. And I'd hand them a piece of paper and I'd say, write it down. You got two minutes, man. House is going to burn down. What can you grab? They would start writing. Say, can I write on the back? Like, sure. They would write like a hundred items, right? I'm like, okay, man. And this is back in the day. I would pull out a stop, an actual like stopwatch from my track days. You got a minute. Go get them, right? And they couldn't find them. They couldn't find any of this stuff. And what I found was they really, really just didn't know. They didn't know what to keep. So I really say the legacy list is super important. And it's the name of my show, Legacy List. But creating a legacy list is a list of stuff that you want to be basically to tell your story once you're gone. And what that is, is five or six items. For me, it's a poker chip. Like I actually have, I literally have it right here. I mean, this is my, my last $5 at one point in my life. This is my chip, man. It's a Caesar's Palace. That's awesome. It's a Caesar's Palace chip, right? And this was the last $5 I had. That's one of my legacy items because it tells my story and it tells not only just, a, I mean, it's not, not, it's not a great story. It's a great story because I survived, right? If I died, it would have been a horrible story. But like I have a five or six items that really matter and they tell my story and they'll tell my story once I'm gone. And so I tell people, say, make that legacy list first. And that is the name of my TV show, by the way. So if you ever want to watch it, it's called Legacy List with Matt Paxton. But that list sets the tone, right? And what you end up doing is you start to tell these stories. And that's my whole stick, man. Like, you've got to tell the stories. If you tell the stories, the items don't matter as much because you've gotten them out of your body, right? You've told them, you've shared them. And people really need to hear them. And so I try to, and that's one of my tips, to share the stories, share the stories. So the, you establish that legacy list and then you share the stories. You're going to find out pretty quickly that like the bottom 80 of those items really don't matter at all. I, I mean, this is, people hate this, this little number, but like I've cleaned out many houses, like people live in a house 50, 60 years, right? And they're like, We've taken everything that has value that we want. Now sell everything, everything else. And pretty much every time it's around $8,000. It's about the value of the stuff that the kids don't want in the house. And you spent 50 years accumulating, spent $100,000 of all that stuff. And at the end of the day, it's worth about eight grand. Yeah, I think you actually you talked about like a woman who had a storage unit in the book oh. like 25 years. And it was like, like she'd uh, incurred like 300000 it was, it was over 300 like, grand yeah. in storage fees. So they yeah. actually didn't let me put the last number in there because it was so depressing. This lady had spent, it was like $125 a month for her good furniture. And it was worth, a, she felt like worth like 25 grand back then. Well, when she put it in, it probably was 25 years, $125 a month. It ended up being without even interest. It ended up being about 300 grand and the furniture sold for like six grand or seven grand. What's your rule of thumb? Because I know like we've, We've bounced back and forth over the years, getting a storage unit, not getting a storage unit. If you own, yeah, if you own a house, if you're paying a mortgage for a house, I think what you have should fit in your house. I really believe that. And a lot of people are thinking, crazy, he's nuts. 
and you're smiling, laughing at me. So either you believe that or you want your I wife believe to believe you. No, I, 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 I believe you. Yeah. We're on the same team right now, Matt. <laughs> when I answer that, I never know who, which side of the team I'm on, right? I just, you know, I'm already paying a lot of money for a house. Do I really need to pay someone else to hold my stuff? But if you're in an apartment, it's transient, you know, you only be for six months, then sometimes storage is right. And if you don't know where you're going to be in a year, then I think that's fair. That's okay. I've had storage units in my day. But I just think if you're paying for a house, you should be able to fit it in there. And if not, you got too much stuff. I mean, if you can't see it, can you really enjoy it? You say in the book, which is one of the things that when you read it or you see it, like you can't unread it and you can't unsee it. And it, you talk about like, if you don't use it, if you're not going to use it in the next month. Yeah. Um, so I'm aggressive on that. I say a month. Everyone else is like, that's crazy. Well, that's the point. Okay. Like yeah. it should be a year, but if you're not going to use it in a month, do you really need it? Other than clothes and like temporary skiing equipment? Ah, I don't know, man. Like, do we really, I mean, I've gone extreme. I'm full minimalist now. I have, I have three shirts, two pair of pants. I actually have a lot of shoes. I love Air Jordans. I have a lot of Jordans. <laughs> not, not judging here. Not judging. And I'm fine with it. Here's the deal. Minimalist doesn't mean you have nothing. It means you just don't waste money on dumb stuff, right? And so you actually can do it. We, we go on nice vacations. We have nice things. Like, it's nice. I just don't have a lot of stuff that I don't need. I've really learned to like it that way. And honestly, I've saved a lot of money. Like, it's crazy. Like, the other day, I remember looking. I was like, my God. I don't go get snacks at the store anymore. I don't waste money. Just the little dumb stuff, you know? I remember when I was in my 20s, like, I would, like, just be bored on a Saturday. And I was like, I'm going to go to Best Buy today and go buy random DVDs that I'm going to watch one time. And then they'll go in my DVD collection. Yeah, I rent a lot more. I rent a lot of stuff now. Like, I'll even rent, like, like, I'm big on paddle boards. I got rid of a few of my paddle boards, and now I rent them. Just because do I really need to have a bigger garage to carry? You know, I got I got seven kids, so for me to have a paddleboard, I gotta have I gotta have nine, right? And like that's a lot of money, you know. And so like it starts to add up. I mean, honestly, having so many kids has really forced me to look at stuff differently because I I just don't need as much stuff, and I flat out can't afford it, honestly. And so that's made the life a little easier when anything times nine is expensive for me, right? Like for me to go to the movies. That's 300 bucks with my kids, right? Yeah. And so what it's forced us to do is like, okay, where are we spending our money properly? Do we really need this stuff? And what we've, what we've settled on is we like experiences more than stuff. So like, yeah, I am going to spend 300 bucks to go to the movies because I love going to movies with my kids. But what I don't do is waste, you know, hundred, by the way, it's a hundred dollars for us to go to McDonald's, right? Do I really need six Happy Meals? <laughs> like that's ridiculous, you know? Yeah. So like, those are the decisions we've started to take out, right? And then we don't have the Happy Meal toys and little things like that. And that adds up, right? Like all that stuff adds up and it all sits in your house. And so we've just really eliminated a lot of that. We go to the library. We don't go buy a bunch of books. I don't want to talk to you anymore, Matt. Like that's my, that's kind of like my thing is, is the books. <laughs> so books is the hardest thing, right? Books is awful because it's a trophy for that time in our life, right? Like a book saved us. A book made our life better. A book like, you know, and this is one thing I talk about in the book, in my book, buy my book, right? But then don't buy any other books, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, like I, I say, I was kind of look, man, go get at the library if you need to. I'm fine. Like, I'm not going to get rich doing anything. I mean, you know, one thing is not going to be rich. So like, if you need to rent, if you need to just go get a library, great. But like, I don't know. I just think that like, I like you to tell the story of the book, not the story of the actual book, but like, where were you in your life when you read that book? And I actually got to do that with my dad when he died. And my dad was a huge book dude. Like he loved to read. And he had this big, he had a, he went and got an old library ladder and he had it on his bookshelf. So he could like run. It was beautiful. That's, that's right? on my was, bucket list, man. That's on my Oh list. dude, it was killer. And I remember going with my dad. We were like, we were, this was before the internet. We were like hopping around downtown. He had heard somebody was selling old library ladders. And we were going warehouse to warehouse one morning and we ended up getting one and it like stuck out of his BMW sunroof. And it was, it was in the eighties, man. I remember driving around, driving home. He was so happy to get it and we got it and he used it. And when he was dying, I just went, got up on the ladder and I pulled books down. I'd be like, what's this book? And he would tell me all about it. And he was like, Oh, I read that in high school. I remember, Oh man, this girl thought it was crazy. Like he remembered not just the story, the plot, but he remembered where he was in life. And until I was writing this book, I didn't realize how important that was for my dad to let go of a lot of his memories, right? Like he was able to share all that with us on the way out. And it was really cool. And I, and I you know, kind of something spiritual about being able to remember a lot of that stuff. I mean, my dad was not that lucid to remember everything, but that day he was, it was really cool. And like, I now look at my son who never met him and they're like twins, man. Like they sit the same, they draw the same, they act. I mean, it's scary 
how much my oldest son and my father are alike. And he reads just, my son reads like it's his job. I mean, he, he takes, takes his book to the store. You know, he'll, he'll take a book anywhere so he can read because he loves it. He just gets lost in it. And I've noticed like he's having a hard time letting go of books and because he loves them. That's there's, fine. Like there's life. Fine. You know? <laughs> Great. Because he's yeah. not filling up with a bunch of crappy toys that we don't need. So I was like, hey, you got your space. You do what you want with your space, right? But I'm just not going to. Yeah. You know, what your space is your space. And that's not my not my place to judge. But I'm going to help you keep it within those boundaries. And I think one of the, the you know, the themes that continues mm-hmm. like the thread throughout your book is the stories, like the importance of just, mm-hmm. you know, like even the act of like, hey, we're getting rid of this, like coming together and being like, hey, like, let's let's tell the story about the time we bought this and, you know, like yeah. where we're at in our lives and stuff like that. So it's almost like you're turning the process of decluttering into an experience itself. You know? Yes. Yeah. I love that. Yes. I didn't write that. You did. That's perfect. I mean, I, I think it's about the experience, right? Like we, we already decided we have too much stuff. You wouldn't have bought my book or called me or listened to me if you wanted more stuff. Like you already have established that the stuff is, is not good, right? It's too much. We're full. And so now I'm saying, hey, let's enjoy it. Don't just roll. Because I've seen too many families just throw it all away. And if you just throw it all away, like that's not going to fix it. Like, you know, back to my hoarding days, the old analogy in hoarding was like, I said, Hey man, if you got an alcoholic and all you do is throw away his beer, you haven't solved anything. You just pissed him off. Right. And so that's the same as going to my grandma's house and throwing away all of her stuff and not telling her that's the exact same act. All right. Make an alcoholic really angry by throwing his beer or throw my grandma's dishes away without talking to her about it. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, you're probably in more trouble with my grandma. Right. 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 But at right. the end of the day, we need to share this story. I want to hear my grandma, what, you know, cause my grandma wants me to have the China. I don't want to have the China. Right. So I say, talk about the stories and this, so bring this back to leadership. This is about communication. This entire stuff thing is about communication, right? The person that is getting rid of the stuff needs to communicate. Hey, I really need a, B and C. And they say, I want you to have this, this, and this. And the person receiving it says, no, I do not want any of those, but this is what I do want. Right. Like, I mean, I was writing the book and didn't realize how much the book was about communication because you have to communicate what you do and don't want. There's this guilt thing for people over 55. They think they have to receive everything of their loved ones and they think they have to like curate it like a museum. They don't. You can just say no, it's okay, but they don't know that. So again, the communication is so important. Could you real quick, because you talk about that in the book and you talk about this Mm. concept called uh, upcycling. Yeah. Which I thought was really awesome. And um, I believe it was your, was it your grandmother's tokens? Yeah, my great aunt. My great aunt. Okay, yeah. yeah. So like this is a great, all right, great story. So what does upcycling? Upcycling is the ability to take old items and make them into something new that you can enjoy them. And so I had some old, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. These old, when my great aunt Mildred died, she left me these 10, they were silver. They were actually silver tin tokens to the Richmond trolley. All right, the trolley hadn't been around since the 30s, maybe 40s. But she said, well, I always heard they're bringing it back. And if they bring it back, I'll have my tokens. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, she was a child of the Depression. Like, she knew her thing. And she really believed that. When she died, I got the tokens. Right? And so when I got uh, engaged the first time, I actually had them turned into cufflinks. And, everybody, and all my buddies got these cufflinks from Richmond, Virginia. And so we love them. We all love them. And we've all had them longer than most of our first marriages, right? But we love these cufflinks. And it brings it back to a thing where I was able to take something from the past and then really relive it in a city that we, and they all knew my great aunt. I mean, they thought she was great. She lived up the street from us. And it was just a great way to re kind of like relive something from the past, but not just leave it the way it is. I, I was just telling one the other day, I was telling somebody about a, there was a family that had, it was a piano. Nobody wanted it. It wasn't very good. It didn't work. And then they ended up, believe it or not, they busted the piano apart and actually built a bunch of little uh, shelves for each. Fa- so each family member got a little bookshelf, basically, that they took a family member. Oh, wow. That's, that's and it was really cool. So everybody, so some people are like, how dare you break up a piano? That piano was, you'd get $10 for it at scrap metal, right? There's nothing, there's no value in it. There's a million pianos out there. And so this way they turned us, everybody got a piece. So there's ways to upcycle things. The one in the book, I don't want to spoil it for the book, but it's a great, it's an awesome upcycling. It was a, uh, I'll say that I'll hint it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tease it. I'll tease it. The, the, the tease on it is it's great. So something you'll find in every house you're cleaning is a big red Folgers coffee can and it's filled with either pennies or keys or nails. 
And I will say the upcycling was one of those three things. And it was amazing. But you're all laughing saying, yeah, I did have that. My grandpa did have that folder. It was nails. nails. (laughs) And someone's like, it was pennies. Yeah. 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 My grandpa's pennies. And I would steal them to go to the candy store. And uh, I would steal my grandpa's pennies. And I would, and of course he owned the candies. He owned the the country store. And I would take pennies out of his garage (laughs) and go up there and buy 10 cents worth of candy. And I didn't realize until like 10 years later that he just put a jar of pennies in the garage so he knew I was going to steal them. And so it just kept being a cycle. Yeah, I remember growing up, my my dad, he worked at uh, Woolworths in downtown Savannah. And they had these old like copper fire extinguishers. And that's what my parents would put loose like dryer change into. Yeah. And so I just, I remember like I would unscrew the top of it, dump it out and just try to get money Mm. for like whatever I do it all the time. But now I have it sitting in my living room still filled with probably like 100, 200 pennies that we've been like just taking around with. To me, man, that's a legacy list item. Like that's a cool item, right? Like that you remember as a kid and then it was your grandpa's. And then it's as your life has changed, the meaning of that jar is so different, right? But it's such a cool jar. And like, it's not a valuable, financially valuable item, but it sure is emotionally valuable. Like those are the items that matter to me. It's a can of coffee, right? It's a jar. It doesn't, I mean, like, it didn't really mean it, but it meant a lot because of who owned it and then the life that it spent in your family. To me, that's a great legacy item. Another, you know, as you're talking about upcycling, like, you know, every time we're in a new unit, we'll get a unit t-shirt yeah. out of it. And so like one of the things that you talk about in the book is like, yeah. you could take the t-shirts and like turn those into a quilt instead of having a, like, like a drawer full of, you know, 20 year old shirts that probably stink, have some holes in them. It's funny you say that. I used to clean out seals houses <laughs> And it was like, dude, how do they not find these guys? Like, all they have is they have like a thousand t-shirts. Yeah, like, yeah, that's they would have so many t-shirts. I've seen people turn them into teddy bears. I've seen people turn them in for the kids. I've seen them turn them into quilts, like whatever. But like, that's an easy way to like downsize it, right? And, re- and repurpose it. And you also can just say, hey, I'm good on t-shirts. I don't need any more. <laughs> There's never enough. I mean, you can never have yeah. enough t-shirts. That is a skill that's hard. To saying no is like one of the hardest skills in the world. Something else too that you discuss Mm -hmm. is photos. You know, like a lot of us, we've taken pictures at training. Like we have pictures from from combat when we had public affairs folks following whatever. But there's like pictures of combat experiences, pictures of of you with your tank crew or your vehicle crew. And right now, all that's still fresh. But you talk about things that we should be doing kind of now while while they are fresh that'll help us like later on, right? So like, man, that's a great example. Like those are really important pictures, right? Now, do you need 10 copies? No, we can save one. <laughs> we can digitize it. And then we need to write who's on it, right? We need to actually like put the data down. And, and in the data world, it's called metadata. But like a picture is nothing if you don't know the story. And right now you still have the sound mind to actually know who it is. And like it or not, there'll be a point in your life when you don't. And usually my clients are at that point. And they'll be like, oh, I remember that guy. I can't remember his name. We dated for three years. You know, and you're like, yeah, she's like, I almost married him, but I didn't. Wow. I married this guy and the guy's like, they've been married 60 years. Right? And it's like, oh, wow. You know, like, but you got to write this stuff down. You got to get the, the because de- a lot of times you're the only person left that has those details. So you got to write them down. And now is the time to do it. Like, you you know, you're not going to sit down and do it all at the same time. You're not going to sit down with a hundred pictures or a thousand pictures. I mean, here's like, this is going to blow your mind. An inch, a stack of pictures an inch high is a hundred pictures. Right. One inch high is a is hundred pictures. So do the math in your head right now. How many shoe boxes do you have of pictures? How many buckets of pictures do you have? You've got tens of thousands of pictures. And that's not to mention the cell phones that you never turned in because you've got all those pictures on the cell phone. The digital piles are still piles. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're just that's, digital. Yeah. And and like I remember my first deployment, we were fortunate enough to have a combat camera photographer, like on almost all of our missions. And so I had like literally like thousands of pictures. And one of the things I'm glad I did right when I got back from the deployment was to take those pictures and, you know, go use like Shutterfly and make a a coffee table book out of them. And so like, just like the best ones that, that I thought or whatever. Yeah. And so now like, it's no longer like, let me find the hard drive or... You know, have to go. Yeah, it's all there. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's in a single coffee table book. 
Man, that's amazing if you can do that. That's incredible. For me, I give the quick tips, which is like, you know, go through the duplicates. All right. Everybody has duplicates from the 90s and the 2000s. You don't need the doubles. Just get rid of the negatives. Get rid of the doubles. Keep one picture. Get rid of the generic landscapes, right? A beach or, an, you know, or a mountain. But you don't know which one it is. You just know it's a mountain, right? There's nothing specific about it. You can get rid of the generic landscapes. I actually, I get rid of the pictures of the people you don't know who they are. All right. Like there's going to be now yours. Are, those unit pictures are different. Like that's special. That goes into a separate pile. They need to be digitized and taken care of. And you need to, you know, document them. But if you just get rid of the negatives, the duplicates and the people you don't really know who they are or don't like, believe it or not, like just those three things right there, you can you can actually knock about half your pictures out. So it just becomes a little more manageable. Yeah. And again, Matt, like I, I thought like all the advice from the book was really good and it made me like like really like rethink how I look at stuff. So like if somebody's listening right now and they're listening to this podcast and they're looking around at their shot glass collection from all the vacations they've ever been on before they walk over to the fridge with all the bottle opener magnets that are attached yeah. to it from all their other trips, I guess like what advice would you, would you give to, to listeners? Yeah. Start to call down. I mean, if it doesn't bother you, great. You got a good life, man. That's okay. Like, but if it does bother you, just start to call it down. Like the shot glasses, man, take pictures, start donating them. We're too old for shots anyway, man. Come on. <laughs> I mean, maybe special occasions round table. We don't need shot glasses. If you're doing shots at home, we got problems, right? Yeah. Like get rid of the shots, get rid of the, you know, the, actually I love them. I love magnet collections. Actually, that's something I never, I never touch. I think it's a great way to show a whole life. Actually. I, I think magnets are, I actually love refrigerator magnets. I think that's one of the bummers about stainless steel refrigerators is you can't put the magnets on there anymore. But like, you know, do we really need 10 sets of dishes, right? Do you really need, we'll skip books. We'll come back to books. But like we'll at some point, yeah, we'll skip books completely. Well, I'll do those last. I will say do books last. If you are cleaning out someone's house though, and a loved one's, you do need to shake every book because I put money in there all the time. I find money in books all the time. I think just get comfortable with less, right? Like don't look at life as a, as a big clean out, right? Like, and again, this, we'll, we'll take this back to leadership in a second, but like, you're not going to fix everything in a day. Like, that's not realistic. So start to knock it out. Like, to, I, I, I clean 10 minutes a night. That's it. Like, I do the dishes. Like, sometimes I'm just, all I can bear for the night is to do the dishes. That's it. And if I have a clean sink, well, that's a win. All right. And I sell, I'm like, I finished. I got the dishes done. Like, all right. But like, I think for you guys, like, just start to pare down and like, focus on less consumption and just the stuff you don't need, start donating. Like, how many people would love those cups? Probably a lot. You know, and I think donation is the best way to get rid of things. Do a couple items a week, pick five items a week, do it for a month, right? You got rid of 20 items, believe it or not. It's a great start, but like talk about helping people again, at the end of the day, the more you help other people, the better your life will get. And that, and that holds true with stuff. Like just start giving stuff away to people. You know, that they'll like it better than you, your old clothes, your old shirts, probably not the t-shirts. There's probably some identification stuff on that, but like you've got things that you don't need, like just, like I finally got rid of my size 28 jeans because that ain't happening ever again. I'm down to 34 and I'm good. I don't think I'll get down to 32. So my 30s and 28s went and I donate them to a place that the guys like needed really good clothes, you know? And so like, that's the way to, I'm going to make my life easier with less by just helping other people. I know that sounds silly, but like, it's pretty simple, honestly. Yeah. I, I know you just got deep there, Matt, but uh, when you said that, it reminded me of something that happened. Uh, like it was literally a couple of weeks ago. I so I'm reading your book and uh, it gets to the part about clothes and you're talking about how yeah. like get rid of your fantasy self or whatever. Well, like yeah. I did the opposite. Like I weighed more and I was bigger in my like thirties, early thirties. And then I like started eating healthy and I lost a lot yeah. of weight, but I still had all the clothes in my closet. So like we're trying to go somewhere and then it hits me. I'm going to use right now where we're trying to get out the door to go somewhere to go through my closet. And, uh, yeah. and well, because that's better than wherever you were going that afternoon. Yeah, like, yeah. Right? So yeah, yeah, my wife walks in and there's just a pile of clothes sitting on the floor in the closet. And she's like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I was reading Matt's book earlier today. And, it, and she's like, now's not the time to do this. Yeah. Well, I've been warned. The book is very motivating. You will it laugh, is. you will cry and you'll call your mom. Right. Or you'll call your partner, whoever it is. And you'll, and you'll want to share some stories. Please go with that energy. Right. Like, I don't care what volume you get out of the house, but you're going to feel like cleaning. Do it. Just bite on for half an hour, man. Like, I promise you life is better with less. Like, I promise you, man. 
we create so much drama in our lives with stuff and people like this. That includes people, by the way. There's people you just don't need in your life anymore. Get rid of them. Like, I, I know that's that's probably not the thing to end on here, man. But like, there are people that just create drama. How many sibling relationships would be like saved by people not fighting over, you know, like, like what, what the parents have uh, either left I've, behind or, you know. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've seen families break up over stuff. And it's heartbreaking, man. Like, it's heartbreaking. I mean, my own brother and I, we didn't talk for a couple years after my dad died. I mean, the guy that does this for a living now, my brother and I, it broke us up because we were fighting over stuff that my dad just didn't really say who was going to get what. And my brother and I were just, now we, at the time we thought we were fighting over stuff. We were grieving. We didn't know how to grieve. There's no book on grieving. There's no right way to do it. Everyone grieves differently. And they're all valid, by the way. But like, we just, that's how we handled it. And we got in a big fight. And at the end of the day, we realized like, this is stupid. And then of course, now I'm a minimalist. I wouldn't want any of that stuff anyway. Right? Like, yeah. But 15 years ago, I did. I'll, I'll, I'll leave on this. There's a lot of things called stepping stones. Like some things that you needed when you were 20 and you were 30, you really needed them to get to the next day. Right. But now you don't. And that's OK. It's OK that you needed it back then. And it's OK that you don't need it now. Right. Stepping stones are exactly that. They're a place to get you to the next place. And I don't care how old you are. We're still moving. We're still evolving. And so just appreciate it as a stepping stone. Take a second. Tell the story, appreciate it, and then give it to someone else so it can be a stepping stone for them. Now, that's a great way to end the episode on a positive, upbeat note. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. did it. Yeah, you landed it. So if people are interested in uh, in learning more about you or you know reading the book, where can they yeah. find you? Where can they find the so book? So the book you can buy anywhere, man, like anywhere, Target, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, go to your library, whatever, just whatever way you – I mean, I got to do the audio book, so you can get to hear me read it if you want to. But the social media is I am Matt Paxton. There's a I took about excuse me I took about a hundred quotes out of the book and put them on my social media, and so they're all out there. They're very motivating. You can grab them whenever you want. And then the TV show is Legacy List. You go to mylegacylist.com, mylegacylist.com. You can watch the show there. You can watch it on public television on, on PBS, or you can really I've got hours of content on my website, YouTube, all that. Everything's off of my legacy list. So. Just go to mylegacylist.com. We'd love to have a military family on the show. By the way, we're casting right now for season four. Any families that want to uh, be featured on the show, we're, we'd love to do it. I'm going to pass on that, Matt, but listeners, <laughs> if any of you, <laughs> we'd get in a fight over the books. I've already, yeah. I, I learned that from me. We'll do the books off camera. Yeah, off camera. <laughs> well, well, here's Matt, the deal. I, I do want to leave on this, man. Yeah. Do your thing, dude. Like, whoever you are, like, I'm telling everybody, like, some people like books. I like shoes. Like, who cares, man? Whatever you dig, dig. Get rid of the dumb stuff we don't care about so we have space for the stuff we love. Because that's what our home is about. It's about sharing the stuff we love. For you, it's books. Awesome. Have a party. Tell people about them. Like, that's awesome. Like, be you, man. Like, go do what you do. Just do it more. Get rid of the crap you don't need so you can do it more. That's awesome, Matt. Well, thank you so much for your time today, man. This was awesome. Hey, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you again for listening to another episode of From the Green Notebook Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us gain visibility and the opportunity to help more people on their leadership journey. Also, make sure you check out our website at www.fromthegreennotebook.com. There, you can listen to past episodes, read leadership articles written by military leaders from around the world, you can sign up for our monthly reading list email where you can learn about new books that are coming out and our Sunday reflection email that comes out every Sunday morning is really short. It's a two minute read, but I guarantee you it's going to start your week off on the right foot. Finally, make sure you follow us on Twitter at FTG and Notebook, and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for From the Green Notebook. Again, thank you so much for coming on this journey with us. I am humbled by the opportunity to learn these lessons alongside you. So please join us next week for another episode of From the Green Notebook, where we're going to help you lead with the best version of yourself. I came from the mud, there's dirt on my hands, strong like a tree, there's roots where I stand, oh I've been running from the love. Shoot me down.